I've got the privilege of reading the word for you this morning. Our text is one of the most famous and familiar stories in the entire Bible, the great story of David and Goliath. This comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'll be reading the first 11 verses. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield carrier also walked before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is the word of God for the people of God. You know, I just love the power of great stories. And today we are dealing with one of the greatest stories, not just in the Bible, but one of those great archetypal stories that just defines us and, you know, that just gets our blood pumping. I mean, there is a reason why the story of David and Goliath is known to people that maybe aren't even familiar with the Bible. And there's a reason why it's one of those stories that we teach our children and that we come back to and that we hang our hat on as we think about, you know, great stories of the Bible. And one of the things about stories is that no matter how many times you read them or hear them or think about them or see them portrayed on the screen, there's always something more to learn. There's always something more to learn. There's always a different angle to take and something you haven't seen in the story before, some layer of truth, even when you thought you knew it by heart, even if you got the story memorized, you know, there's always something more. And even this week, you know, I don't even know how many times I've read David and Goliath or, or heard it or whatever. I mean, you know, countless times. But even this week, uh, as I was approaching it specifically from this angle, that we've subtitled this series, Life Lessons of a God Changer. And I was approaching it from that angle. What life lessons can we learn from this? And I was amazed by how many there are and by how many things I had never noticed in this text and by how many lessons I had not to say today because we only have so much time. There's always so much more uh, in this story that could be said. I mean, we could preach the whole sermon series on David just in this story. Uh, and, I, and I love the way our video puts it, you know, that the heroes we talk about, the stories we tell, demonstrate who we want to be and the type of life we want to live. It's so true, isn't it? Now, if you're here this morning, I'm hoping you're familiar with this text uh, because I'm gonna have to summarize a lot of it. 
there's no way we can read all of it or even read the passages of it that I'll be referring to because we just don't have enough hours in the day for that. So I'm hoping you're familiar with this story. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not familiar with this story, spoiler alert, David kills Goliath. Okay. I just want to go ahead and get that over with, okay? If I, I'm sorry if that broke your heart or if you thought that Goliath was going to win or you didn't know, okay? I'm sorry if that broke your heart. But spoiler alert, David kills Goliath. But I'm going to have to summarize a large part of this, which means if you're not familiar with this story, you're just going to have to trust me. I mean, in a perfect world, I would love to read the whole story or read portions of it as I refer to them, but we don't live in a perfect world and y'all don't want to stay here that long. And so I'm going to have to summarize it, which means you're just going to have to trust that I'm not making this story up. Okay, even for those of you that, that are familiar with it. By the way, I think that's always a good rule of thumb. You know, when in doubt, just trust your preacher. I mean, I could be up here, you know, <clears throat> that's why I wear the collar, so I can speak with more authority. Now, you know, I mean, to a greater extent than any of us want to admit, that's really true every week. I mean, I could be up here talking about superlapsarianism, and you'd say, is that a doctrine, or did he just sneeze? I don't know, you know, and that's the way it is. But the passage I just read for you really sets the stage for the rest of this story, these first 11 verses. We've got this great description of Goliath, and he's tall, and he's big, and he's bad, and he's, you know, and he's got all this incredible armor and weaponry, and it weighs 5,000 shekels. I don't know what 5,000 shekels weighs, but obviously it's a lot, okay? Probably more than I'd want to carry, you know? And, and he's got a shield carrier, and, you know, this dude is bad, man. And this is uh, what they call champion-style warfare, by the way. This was the ancient way of trying to conserve lives in warfare. I mean, they realized, you know, maybe all of our armies don't have to go down to the valley and everybody slaughter each other. Let's just, you know, you send out your best soldier, we'll send out our best soldier. May the best man win. And it's important, by the way, for understanding this text that they actually believed that whoever won, that demonstrated the will of God. Because it wasn't just that you were fighting for your country, it was also that you were fighting for your God as a representative of your God. And so if, Philistine, if, the, if Goliath prevails, then that means that his God was more powerful, at least on this day, on this spot, that's the way they thought back then, than the God of Israel was, okay? So it's not just a human battle going on here, there's also some theological implications to this thing as well. So Goliath has probably been sent out by his king, he probably didn't take it upon himself just to, to start the battle this way. And he's challenged the Israelites and he's defied the ranks of Israel and he's mocking them and Israel is just shaking in their boots, okay? So that's the stage, that's where we are. Now, there are six lessons that I wanna point out and a couple sub-lessons that I snuck in that I just couldn't help myself. Uh, the first thing that I want you to notice in terms of life lessons from David, uh, is this. You'll notice, I, I want to I challenge you, by the way, to go home and read the whole chapter. Maybe read it a couple times. That'd be good. And, and ask the Lord, you know, Lord, what have I not seen in here before? You know, what would you speak to me this day? Uh, but when David is first presented in the text, it's really interesting. You know, if I was writing this story and I was going to have David kill Goliath, I mean, I'd have David ride up on horseback, you know, with... I don't know, like a sword that's 10 feet long or something amazing, you know, something incredible and awe-inspiring. I mean, that's the way we would think of this story. But instead, David is not presented as this great warrior. David instead is actually presented as his father's errand boy. Everybody say errand boy. Okay, do you think errand boy and soldier go together? No. I mean, in your mind, when you think of, you know, David being a, a sort of a scrawny, youngest of Jesse's eight sons, and he's, you know, uh, splitting time for his father between keeping the sheep and going back and forth to take provisions to his brothers. When you think of that, you don't think of this great soldier who's going to kill Goliath, right? I mean, that's just not the way uh, that David is presented at all. Uh, David, by the way, you know, he's the youngest of eight, 
And the text tells us that his three oldest brothers uh, are down at the battle lines. They're not really fighting. They're shaking uh, in their boots with the rest of Israel. David, being the youngest, is tending the sheep. And here his father Jesse tells him, take some cheese and some bread to your three oldest brothers and give this to their commanders and check on them. Now, the other four brothers, they were at the beach getting a tan. But David uh, is obeying his father. The text tells us that David got up early in the morning and did as his father Jesse had commanded him. Now that's not exactly what I would think of as this future king of Israel, this man that they're gonna sing about how David killed his tens of thousands, and this great king who's gonna outsmart his enemies and write the Psalms. That's not exactly the intro I would expect, I don't know about you. But here's the lesson we can learn from that. God chasers follow commands so that one day they'll be prepared to give commands. God chasers follow commands so that one day they'll be prepared to give commands. God chasers know, they've got the humility to know that God requires a season of preparation and God requires them to be a servant, to be under authority before they're in authority. And by the way, I find that that's true. Whether you're called like David, called and equipped to be a great leader or whether you're just called and equipped to be effective in your role, whatever that may be, as a follower that God puts us through seasons of preparation, seasons of servanthood, and it's not like just a one-time thing that, you know, just in our childhood or something, but on an ongoing basis, God is always in the process of preparing us and shaping us and molding us, and God chasers are willing to recognize authority and willing to operate with humility. And one of the things I think that makes the difference between those who really count for God and those who don't is precisely this humble willingness to accept authority to accept orders to serve instead of just wanting to fast forward and be in that role already and be the man. You know, David has already been anointed king, but you don't hear him telling his father, you know, hey, I mean, I'm anointed king of Israel, man. I can't be taking orders from you and taking these, uh, these provisions down to the front. I mean, what are you kidding? No, the scripture says, David got up early in the morning and did what his father commanded. God chasers are willing to take commands so that one day they'll be prepared and equipped to give commands. Second thing I want you to notice in the text is this. In verse 16, we're told that Goliath has been issuing this taunt for 40 days. Everybody say 40 days. That was weak. Let's try it again. 40 days. Okay, good. I mean, hey, the nine o'clock service was awake. Y'all better be awake because it's 1045. You've had more time to wake up. All right. Now, 40 days in scripture is symbolic of a long time. Noah, you know, the Lord told Noah to build him an ark, and how long did it rain? 40 days. How long was Moses on, the, on Mount Sinai with God? 40 days. How long was Jesus tempted in the wilderness by Satan? 40 days. So we ought to see this in scripture and we realize what we're being told here is, this has been going on for a while, you know what I mean? This has been going on longer than it should have been allowed to go on. Way too long. Verse 16 says that Goliath has been issuing this same taunt for 40 days. Now, here's what you got to understand. As the king of Israel, it was Saul's duty to deal with this. You know, standing there trembling is not a strategy. <laughs> You're supposed to respond. And in fact, if Saul was really a good king, he should have responded right away. I mean, even if you don't think you can take Goliath, you don't just stand there and let him taunt you for 40 days. I mean, it's not going to get better, you know. Do something. Uh, Send your best soldier out, Saul, and if not, then Saul would have been obligated to go himself. And Saul didn't want to do that, and I guess he doesn't think that he has a soldier that can beat Goliath, and so he's panicking, and he's allowing humiliation and discouragement 
to reign in his troops. But what he should have done was responded right away. And so when the text says that Goliath has been doing this for 40 days, I mean, we should get the clue. That is not good. This is not acceptable. Things are not good. But in verse 23, we find that Goliath comes up again and does the same thing he's been doing for 40 days, issues the same taunt, you know, I defy the ranks of Israel, give me a man that we may fight. The same thing that I just read for you, right? But here's the difference. Verse 23, there's this very dramatic phrase where it says, and David heard him. It's kind of set off in the text. You know what I'm saying when you're reading the story and you know it's almost like its own little paragraph, and David heard him. And that's the big difference because now, uh, this has been going on for 40 days, but now David's here. And David's gonna do something, David's gonna respond, and he's gonna respond immediately. Now here's the point. God chasers don't worry about being late to the battle. God chasers are just glad to join the battle at the first opportunity. God chasers don't think to themselves, if only God had called this to my attention sooner. <laughs> but he didn't, so it's his fault, right? If only I had been alive then, if only I'd been in leadership then, I coulda, shoulda, woulda done great things for God, but since I didn't have the opportunity, I'm gonna go home and daydream and pretend I've done something. God chasers don't think like that. God chasers don't think to themselves, well, it's been 40 days and nobody else has done anything and they're all discouraged and frightened, so I guess it's a lost cause. I better just pack it in and go home. God chasers think, Lord, I'm just glad to be in the battle. I don't care whether I'm late to the battle, early to the battle, the middle of the battle, it doesn't matter. I'm just glad to be fighting for your cause. I'm just glad to be fighting for the winning side. Because you know, uh, God chasers always remember that it doesn't matter how the battle appears to be going, and really friends, it doesn't even matter how this particular battle goes, because the book of Revelation tells us that God's gonna win the war, amen? Yeah, God chasers know that. God chasers think that way. God chasers don't think to themselves, well, you know, if I had just had that opportunity or, you know, I could have done better than someone. No, man, I'm just glad to be in the fight, God. I'm just glad to stand up for you. I'm glad to give my life for you, whatever it takes. I'm just glad to be in the battle. God chasers don't worry about being late to the battle. They're just thankful to be in the battle and have the opportunity. I think that speaks a powerful word to our culture today. You know, because there's a lot of us, especially in the church, that kind of think we're late to the battle. You know, I was born in 1979, but sometimes I feel like I lived through the 1950s. You know why? Because I've heard so much about the 1950s. It must have been a wonderful time to be alive in the 1950s. The great Tony Campolo says, you know, the way most churches operate, if the 50s ever come back, we're ready. Well, that is fine and good. I'm glad the 1950s were so wonderful, but guess what? The 1950s ended half a century ago and they ain't coming back. So wake up and get your head in the game. I'm tired of hearing about how great it used to be. I'm tired of hearing about when I was a kid, we didn't lock our doors. I'm tired of hearing about we didn't have these problems and oh, woe is, oh, who cares? Hush, they ain't coming back. There's nothing we can do about that now. We're in the battle now, get in the fight. You see, most people are too busy making excuses. God chasers are busy getting stuff done. Everybody else is talking about how we can't do it. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's how God chasers think, man. Everybody else is talking about, oh, well, I don't know, huh? David's down at the brook getting five stones and practicing his trash talk. <laughs> some good trash talk in here now, some dirty stuff. You know, the Bible's X-rated, man. It doesn't pull any punches. David says, I'm gonna cut your head off. You know, and he means it, you know? Watch out, this is dangerous stuff, man. You know, they say the word of God is a two-edged sword living and active, and it will cut you. 
it will cut you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, y'all are gonna find I only need one laugh and I go from preacher to comedian. So you're gonna learn, you gotta be careful laughing at my jokes now. There's half of this stuff I just think of while I'm up here, and that's when it really gets out of control. I don't even remember what I was talking about. David, <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of hearing about the 1950s. I really am. You know, the 1960s was this time we all know it. We've heard it ad nauseum, this time of the sexual revolution and all these changes in our culture and Roe v. Wade in 1972. Well, guess what? It's time for us to stop lamenting the fact that we've missed opportunities, lamenting the way it used to be, and get back in the battle. We don't get to choose the times in which we live. We only get to choose how we respond to the times. And God chasers don't think, man, I'm too late to the battle, it's a lost cause. Everybody else is discouraged and disheartened, so I'm gonna pack it in and go home. God chasers just say, man, I'm just honored to give my life in the cause of causes for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see the difference, friends? Third thing I want you to notice is this. What is it that David hears that gets him so fired up? What David hears is an insult to God. Now, it's an insult to Israel, it's an insult to Saul, and by virtue of that, it's an insult to David and his, his brothers and so forth, but ultimately what David hears is an insult to God, and that's the third thing we can learn from David. God chasers are zealous for the honor of God. God chasers are zealous for the honor of God for the reputation of God, for the glory of God. God chasers don't want anyone uh, to get away with speaking a negative word against their God. Now, if I insulted your mama, you'd probably take offense, wouldn't you? My brother and I, by the way, were together the other night uh, for a baseball game, and we were laughing about how embarrassing it is, you know, to think back on what you thought was funny in junior high school. It's just humiliating, you know? I mean, when I was in junior high, it was, you know, knock, knock, who's there? Joe, Joe who? Joe mama! <laughs> you know, we thought that was so funny, you know? Why did we think that was funny? But if I insulted your mom, I insulted your dad, I insulted your little brother, whatever, uh, you'd, you'd take offense to that. You'd take that seriously, wouldn't you? Why is it that we don't take offense when the honor of God is on the line. God chasers are zealous for the honor of God. God has chosen to be known, whether we like it or not, God has chosen to be known in this world in and through his people. God has, in a sense, entrusted us, if you will, with his reputation. Paul says, uh, it is as if we are Christ's ambassadors. God, therefore, is making his appeal through us. Are we living in such a way to protect the honor the glory, the reputation of God, so that he'll have a good name among the nations. God chasers are zealous for the honor of God. Fourth thing I want you to notice in the text comes right after this. David has just said this incredible thing, you know? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Man, if that doesn't get you heart pumping, you're not alive. You know, I mean, that gets you fired up, man. But right after that, right after that, his eldest brother Eliab, tries to discourage him. Now again, David is the youngest of eight brothers. Eliab is the oldest, okay? So Eliab has been passed over. David has now been anointed as king of Israel. And of course, who would you expect would be anointed out of the eight? Obviously Eliab, and the text is very clear on that. You know, that when Samuel comes to anoint one of Jesse's sons, clearly we would think it'd be the oldest, but it's not. Eliab's been passed over, his brothers have been passed over. Can you say jealousy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you can read it in the text, you can smell it all over Eliab, he's jealous. And he doesn't want his little brother, who's now been anointed king, you know, 
around. But, you know, some of you are little brothers or you have little brothers or sisters. You know what I'm saying, right? And Eliab's not concerned about David's safety, by the way. <laughs> Eliab doesn't say like, you know, David, I don't want you to get hurt. It's your older brother. I'm worried about you. This is not a good idea. You know, you need to go home. No, Eliab doesn't care about that. He's just, you know, he's just frustrated with David. And he says, well, you know, who'd you leave the sheep with? Are you doing your duty? You know, who's keeping the sheep? And what are you doing here anyway? You're just down here watch, watching the battle and talking, you know? And David said, what have I done now? Was it only a question? You know, you know those of you that are younger brothers, you can kind of relate to that. You know, what have I done now? You know, let me tell you something. Everybody has an Eliab in their life, but God chasers don't listen to them. Everybody has an Eliab in their life, but God chasers don't listen to them. It's not a question of if you have somebody, it's who have you had, do you have, and will you have that just doesn't believe in you, that just doesn't like you, that's always wanting to pull you down. That's, you know, they've kind of constructed the little place for you where you fit in their little understanding of the world, they're, you're on your little box, and they're always wanting to put you in there so they can feel better about themselves. You know, they're always trying to limit you, always trying to say you can't do it, always being negative and pessimistic and cynical, impugning your motives, impugning your, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe you got somebody in your life like that right now. And the, 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 matter, the fact of the matter is, if we listen to that too long, it can do permanent damage because that will get in our mind like a, like a tape. Now, you kids don't know what tapes are, but ask your parents. And like a tape, it'll just rewind and play over and over again. Do you know what I'm saying? Where you just hear that and you hear that and you hear that and eventually you begin to believe it. And some of us need to pray, not just that we won't listen to the Eliabs in our life moving forward, but that the Spirit of God will rip out the damage that the Eliabs have already done. Because everyone has an Eliab in their life. The difference is that God chasers listen to what God has said about them and what God has called them to do and what God thinks of them, not what the Eliabs think of them. You know, David was Jesse's youngest son and he was Eliab's youngest brother, but he also knew that ultimately he was a child of God. And David listens to that heavenly father. Somebody had insulted his heavenly father. And he says, I'm gonna do something about it. I don't care what my earthly brother thinks of it. You know, I have found that the Eliabs of this world just can't keep their toxicity to themselves. They just wanna share it with you. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like nuclear waste. I don't know what they do to nuclear waste. I've been reading a little bit about it you know, recently because it's kind of controversial. How do we store it? What damage will it do to our society? And so they, you know, they put it in these caves that like go down to the middle of the earth or whatever. And they, you know, try to store it in like things of steel that are 50,000 uh, layers thick. I don't know what they do to it, but they, they're very careful with it, right? To keep it in, to keep it under control so it doesn't do damage. The Eliabs of this world have that within them and they don't have all that protective stuff and they just can't keep it to themselves and they wanna share their toxicity with you. <laughs> and you know, I've found if we allow that to happen, the environment becomes toxic, just like with nuclear waste. And not, you know what else I've found? Eliabs are like magnets. If you let them get away with spreading toxicity in the environment, they'll draw other toxic people to themselves and it'll just snowball and get more and more and more toxic. And some of you have been in companies like that. Some of you have been in families like that. Some of you have been in churches like that. I'm here to tell you, you've got to stop listening to the Eliabs in your life and start listening to your Heavenly Father. And not only do you have to stop and start, you've got to go back and pray through some of the damage that the Eliabs have spoken into your life. You know, it's incredible how uh, selfish we are as humans. We always want to share. If something's negative, we want to share it. 
That's why you read the newspaper, it's nothing but bad news. I mean, why do we do that to ourselves? It's like, you know, I just really want to have a bad day. I'm going to start off by reading the newspaper. I just really don't want to get discouraged. I love being discouraged, you know? If something smells good, you're like, oh man. But if something stinks, you're like, dude, check this out, it reeks, you know? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but we want to share bad stuff, but we want to keep good stuff to ourselves. And we can't allow the Eliabs of this world to have power over us. Here's the fifth lesson that we can learn from David this morning. God chasers focus on God, not Goliath. God chasers focus on God, not Goliath. You know, I am always amazed by the power of what we choose to focus on. You know, I said a moment ago that we can't choose the times in which we live, but only how we respond to those times, right? Well, in the same way, we can't choose all the circumstances or challenges we face or what happens to us. Sometimes we just face stuff that's not fair. Curveballs in life that just are unforeseen and not good and not fair. But you know what we can choose? We can choose to respond in a healthy manner by focusing on certain things and distracting our focus, deliberately distracting our attention from other things that are hurtful and damaging and discouraging. And if you're gonna be a God chaser, you gotta learn to do that. Because if you focus on Goliath, you're never gonna get anywhere. And I think it's interesting how that text starts with all this description of Goliath. You know, I mean, he had this and this, and it goes on and on. I mean, I don't even know what that stuff is or what it weighs, but you get the point. I mean, you know, uh, six cubits in a span. What the heck does that mean? Scholars aren't even sure, but they think it's about nine, 10 feet tall. Whatever, it's big. You know what I'm saying? But you get the point, don't you? And we all have those Goliaths in our life. We all have not just people, but circumstances and situations. And if we get bogged down in focusing on them, we're never going to get anywhere. But God chasers focus on God and not on Goliath. And one of the reasons why they're able to do that is because God chasers are living for and fighting for the glory of God, not for their own glory. God chasers are living for and fighting for the glory of God, not for their own glory. If you're living for and fighting for your own glory, you're always gonna be focused on the Goliath because you're thinking it's up to you and how am I gonna look depending on how this winds up. If you're focused on your own glory, if you're in it for yourself, you're always gonna focus on the wrong things. And if you focus on the wrong things, you'll always get the wrong results. But God chasers are fighting for and living for the glory of God and that frees them up, that empowers them to be able to focus on God and not Goliath. God chasers also know who it is uh, that's responsible for winning, whose strength they are fighting through. David makes that very clear when he charges Goliath, uh, I'm gonna cut your head off so that, all of is, so that all the world will know there is a God in Israel. Not so the world will know how great I am, but so that all the world will know that you have defied the armies, not of Saul, but of the living God. And others will take note not to do that next time because God chasers are not in it for their own glory, they're in it for God's glory, and they know, as David says when he charges Goliath, the battle is the Lord's, the battle is in God's hand. And friends, I don't know who or what your Goliath looks like, but I know what God looks like, and I know that the battle is the Lord's. And God chasers, friends, if we wanna count for God, if we wanna make a difference, if we really wanna learn from this great man, David, We've got to take our eyes off the Goliaths, off what's wrong, off what we've done in the past, off what we've been in the past, off why we can't, and get our focus fixed on God. The power of what you focus on is just incredible. Here's the sixth and final lesson that I want us to take from David this morning. God chasers long to be champions who not only fight their own battles, but who are strong enough and blessed enough 
to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. God chasers long to be used by God as his champions who not only fight their own battles in life, but who are blessed enough and strong enough to also fight for those who can't fight for themselves. One of the commentaries I looked at put this so well, it said, you know, that when, uh, when Saul says to David, uh, you can't go out against this guy. He has been a soldier from his youth and you are only a youth. And David says what? Don't worry about it. I've been keeping my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear tried to take one of them, I went out and killed it. And this uncircumcised Philistine will fall like one of them. Some of you here this morning are not connecting with David. <laughs> Some of you are connecting with the Israelites, if we're really honest about it, right? Some of you are feeling overwhelmed and scared. And it's hard to hear, you know? It's easy for me to stand up here and say, man, take your focus off Goliath and get it on God, you know, and all these things. I mean, that's great, but I know that some of you are in hard circumstances and you're thinking, you know, I just don't know if I can do that because I'm overwhelmed. And you know, I wanna tell you, God sees you. God hears you. God knows your circumstances. And I wanna tell you that's okay. You know, there's a reason why the Israelite soldiers are in this text too. <laughs> there's a reason why the Israelite soldiers are in this text too, not just David. In fact, when I first started this sermon, I thought to myself, you know, this is always called David and Goliath, but it's really so many other sub-stories. It's really Saul and Goliath and Israel and Philistines and you see, there's so many th things in here. And some of you are, are thinking, man, I just can't connect with David. I'm more like those Israelites, and I want to tell you that's okay. Because God doesn't call all of us to be like David. But some of you are here this morning, and you've got more than enough, like David does. You've got more than enough faith, more than enough confidence, more than enough esteem and encouragement, more than enough money, more than enough time and energy. Or maybe you've got special talents that God could place on your heart to have a little extra so that you can bless others. And if that's you this morning, I want to challenge you to think, who is it in your sphere of influence that needs somebody to fight for them? Who is it in your sphere of influence that's being beaten up and just trodden on by life, that's scared and just beaten up by the Goliaths of this world? Who is it in your sphere of influence that's marginalized, that can't speak up for themselves, that can't stand up for themselves? Maybe that just doesn't know how. You know, so many of the people in our society that are marginalized and weakened, they don't, I mean, they don't even know how. And they need a David. They need a champion to fight for them. I want to challenge you. But that would be the prayer of your heart this day, especially if you're able to do that, whether financially, time, energy, just emotional capacity. You know, I find that life is so busy, you know, and I find myself praying, Lord, just give me some emotional capacity, <laughs> a little bit more than I need for myself and my wife and my kids and my life, just some emotional space to be present to others, to listen to others, to bless others, so that I'm not just surviving, but I've got something to give. And I would challenge you this morning, who are the Israelites in your life? It's not just about who the Goliaths are. If you're really gonna be a God chaser, it's also about who the Israelites that need your help. My prayer for you this morning is that you'd be attuned to that and that you would be truly a God chaser in every way, shape, and form, not just going out and fighting battles, but also fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. So that's it for you this morning, friends. If we're gonna be a God chaser, we've gotta learn these incredible lessons from King David. We've gotta be willing to take orders so that we can give orders. We've gotta not be, be worried about when we showed up for the battle. We've gotta be zealous for the glory and for the honor of God. We can't let ourselves listen to the Eliabs in our life. We've gotta focus on God and not on Goliath. And we've gotta be receptive to who God would be leading us to fight for. Let's pray together. 
Lord, I just thank you for the holy privilege of being engaged in the work of the gospel, the cause of causes, the fights of fights, the battle of battles. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit might be poured out in this place this morning, that we might be convicted. God, I pray that you would break the spirit of the Eliabs in our lives that have hurt us, that have discouraged us, that have spoken negativity into our spirits. God, that we would say, who are they that they should seek to define me, a child of the living God, a son of the living God, a daughter of the living God? Who are they? And what was I thinking to ever listen to them? I rebuke the spirit, God, that says, I can't do anything because everybody else is discouraged. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would empower us to say, I'm just glad to be in the battle, win, lose, draw, wherever, whatever, whenever I get to the fight, it doesn't matter. God, I'm just honored to be engaged in the work of the gospel. May it be so, God, that you would grant us the gift of a holy zeal for your honor and your glory and your fame that we would live for it and be willing to die for it, that we would focus on you and not on Goliath, and that we would look around God, not just for what we need to survive, but that we would champion the cause of those who are weak and who need our help, and thus that we would truly be the body of Christ. This we ask in your holy name, amen.